Um, yeah. So, um, welcome to uh, one of my podcasts today. Uh, this is Shauna Coleman on Sheet Harbor Radio, and I am in studio, literally in Jerry Frager's studio in Spry Bay. Welcome, Jerry. Hello. Thanks so much for having this. Oh, thanks for agreeing to come out and, and have a chat. Um, Jerry, what a wonderful setting you have here in, in your studio for our listeners. How did you go about maybe creating this space? Uh, it's kind of uh, morphed into where your art has grown, or mm. did you and your partner build this spot? Well, or? large thanks to Peter Eichel, who's my husband, because um, he gave up half the garage. <laughs> Actually, more than half, because my kiln is also in his half of the garage. Right. So I have half the garage space, which he insulated, and nice. beautiful wood in the place, uh, wood ceiling, mm-hmm. wood trim on the windows, gorgeous expansive view of the ocean and our garden, fantastic cupboard space because he knows I'm a squirrel and I tend to keep everything. Yeah. So I've got behind those yeah. walls there's a heck of a lot of okay. equipment that I use in in my pottery. It's uh, The view certainly would be conducive to uh, creating that that's for absolutely. sure absolutely yeah it's a wonderful space to work in it's very pottery is very meditative anyway I okay. find and to be in this space kind of immersed in the natural world mm-hmm. it's just so easy to just well you have to remember to go inside and have dinner and, and, eat. <laughs> and eat I can I can I can understand how that would happen um, a little bit on your background and then how you sort of merged the medical mm. field with uh, getting your inspiration from that to where we're sitting today. How did that happen? Well, I, I feel a bit like a cat. You know, yeah. they talk about cats having nine lives. Well, so far, to date, I've had at least four. Oh, I'm glad you said just four. I so thought. far. <laughs> yeah. So I worked as a nurse for almost nine years um, in Montreal and uh, went back to school to do medicine. And then did uh, pediatrics in, uh, in Halifax, in Nova Scotia, coming back here. I did a fellowship training, um, fantastic, fantastic fellowship training opportunities in New York and across the <clears throat> UK, and then ended up getting funding to come back and start a pediatric palliative care program in Nova Scotia. Wow. So that's how come I ended up back at the IWK for mm-hmm. 20 years, really. That would have been... Pediatric palliative care. Tough work, mentally. Um, it it was mm. certainly um, full. Yeah. It filled yeah. my days and most of my nights. Yeah. Um, luckily, after the first couple of years, we managed to get funding to hire a clinical nurse specialist. And working as part of a team made... Right. Just all the difference in the world. Um, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful place to work, the IWK. So right. people more than willing to help mm-hmm. extend themselves and and really strive to provide excellence in care. So it made that part easy. Um, but, it yeah, it was very, very yeah. long hours right. and very intense hours. And you moved from that to art 
and well, pottery. Yeah, it's interesting in a way because art started getting integrated as part of my clinical care. Oh, okay. Um, I just found a few, I think a few, more than a few, but a few are stuck in my brain mm-hmm. around where the use of art made a difference for patients and families. Um, mm-hmm. One little guy was uh, just nearly eight years old with a unusual type of liver cancer and we were helping to manage his pain and he was a smart little bug like really bright mm-hmm. guy but would not talk to me about his pain at all just wouldn't just wouldn't mm-hmm. and it wasn't until i started bringing in photographs of animals that he just it just opened up our world mm-hmm. so he started telling me about his pain and where it hurt and how much it hurt and whether things helped or not and what he was frightened about and it just it just made all the difference mm-hmm. and then another mum who uh, was waiting for her son to have a bone marrow transplant and uh, she talked about missing nature specifically having flowers that she normally has at home and she was kind of literally trapped in a hospital room for months on end with her son and I brought in photographs of flowers and she she posted them all on the walls so it was kind of those experiences that said to me it seems like this is of benefit to people right And then when I started working at the Humanities Program at Dalhousie University, running their program, which is looking at integrating the arts into healthcare education and clinical care and research, that we started looking at Mm -hmm. the evidence that it really does make a difference. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just anecdote, that it really seems to benefit people in terms of their health and well-being. I I would think that just for that period of time while you're creating the patient would be creating that their their mind would be taken off of them and onto this piece perhaps this tactile mm-hmm. piece that they're they're building or creating and for a moment it becomes about that piece and, and it's deflected away from them maybe or it, and or it helps them express what they might be feeling in a way right. that is uh, of help to them Right. And helps us understand what they might be feeling. Right. So it exactly it was kind of a bridge, I think, for communication. Mm-hmm. It kind of mm-hmm. helped us talk together in a different way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how how would you, uh, Jerry, develop um, a, a, a concept? Where does your, mm. you know, does the idea come for certain colors or you're thinking today I want to create a particular yeah. piece and you know what will you decide to do tomorrow perhaps if you're working on any pieces yeah. particular well the name of my business and website is natural worlds pottery um, world is kind of a play on words because it's W-H-O-R-L-D-S yeah, I noticed which that. people think I've misspelled world and that means so when, when I'm making things on the wheel, throw what they call throwing on the wheel, which people kind of classically think of um, Ghost, the movie, yeah. you know, when <laughs> yeah, Patrick, Patrick Swayze, Swayze and Demi Moore, you know, yeah. that's in everybody's brain. Well, that kind of um, 
shaping of a vessel or a bowl uh-huh. on the wheel um, ends up creating this spiral pattern in your piece, which you can choose to leave, to keep there. Okay. Kind of it, it leaves the history of how the piece was made. Oh, okay. And it's called a whorl, W-H-O-R-L. Okay. And so a play on words is mm-hmm. because I love making pieces that are grounded in nature. Um, I call my business natural worlds pottery. Right. And that is totally what determines most of the time it shapes my pieces. So right now we've got lupins, we've got poppies that are coming up and bleeding hearts and maple leaves. So my pieces, and of course we always have seaweed mm-hmm. So and mussels. So things by the sea and things on the land that are currently growing are be totally in my pots right now. Oh. I can't wait to go and cut some lupins and make some big platters. So I impress them into the piece, into the clay, and then I go back and uh, color them with ceramic paint that can withstand very high temperatures in the kiln. So nature is mm-hmm. is really what um, really informs all my pieces pretty much, uh, either from the ocean or from our wildlife. Nice. Yeah. Very nice. A little bit of seasonality. Always seasonality. Well, and when what's kind of neat in a way is, of course, through the winter we don't Mm. have, we don't have those things available. But I can make press molds, so through the winter I can still keep those pieces kind of current in my work, even though they're not growing at the time. Or I'll use evergreens or bark from a tree or seaweed. Always, it's always available. Always there. Yeah. So you have a, an inventory of, of the raw natural product. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's very cool. So the um, are you ever interrupted by trends, like something that's mm-hmm. trendy in pottery and wanting to stay away from that? And when I ask that, I'm not totally sure what I mean, uh, but uh, mm-hmm. there must be trends that come up through pottery and clay. Yeah. I mean, if you, I always say if you wait long enough, you know, nothing's new under the right. sun. Uh, the stuff that was all the rage, you know, um, probably in the 80s and 70s is coming back now. Mm-hmm. So people are looking at what used to be called oatmeal glazes, which was kind of this speckled brown. Okay. Well, yes. now people are just loving the organic stoneware. Now they're calling it organic stoneware or whatever Mm. but it was you know it happened however many years ago yeah yeah and that'll die out and then 50 years from now someone will say oh look at isn't that neat right i I really like this well it's back you know so but i don't i'm i don't like to follow trends i mean i i like to just explore what I love to try different things, so I'm always trying new techniques and then seeing, is this something that could fit with what the work I do? Does it feel like it fits with my, my work? Mm-hmm. Does it feel good for me to do it? Or, you know, does it feel alien and not really? Like I went to, <laughs> went to an absolutely fantastic workshop in Italy and this man was, uh, I mean, a wizard. 
He was the most meticulous human and potter I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. I mean, he had things cut up in like, they were smaller than millimeters, like they were just amazing. And I learned some techniques, but when I got home, I thought, really, is that, does that fit with me? Like, I'm not obsessed like that. <laughs> like, right. I'm not, yeah. I'm not that Detailed. rigid. And well, you know, I, I, my lines are curvy. You know, I, I tend to like the accidents that happen in clay, you know, and I, I am never that deliberate, I guess. And maybe not, maybe not rigid is a, is yeah, a right word little, for it. Cause yeah. he's an amazingly creative guy, Sure, but it's more like a few accidentals along yeah. the way are always a good thing. When yeah. You, yeah. And to just have that sense of, uh -huh. I don't know, movement, you know, a lot of movement. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm not that deliberate right. in my pieces. Like geometric. I, I love seeing things with a lot of amazing carving uh -huh. and geometric lines. But, oh my gosh, that's not me. Right. At all. Very tedious. You can appreciate the work, of course. I appreciate it. But, yeah, no, I'm not. You know, for me, yeah. <laughs> particularly at my age, I kind of think um, if I have a certain amount of life to live, how do I want to live it? Right. And I think, you know, yeah, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a straight line approach for you. It's not a straight line. It's <laughs> not a straight line. <laughs> so if, if you were creating a piece, let's say you have a, have a concept and you want to create it, I, I just thought it'd be kind of neat. And you, you kind of touched on it a little bit earlier, um, to share with our listeners how you would go about the process. How would you mold the clay? How would you cut and shape and fit and join and all of that? Mm. I, I hope I'm, you know, yeah, that's, yeah, that's in, in front of us, for example, there is a, is a bowl on, on the table here upside down. Mm -hmm. How would you get the shape of this bowl? So um, someone's asking for a massive fruit bowl. Like they want, the current fruit bowl they have is 15 inches, and they say that's too small, okay. which is pretty massive already. Mm -hmm. This is quite, this across this is, for our listeners would be? Oh, at least 18 inches. Okay. Yeah. It's a big bowl. It's a big bowl, but it's also a shape. I, I love Value Village for forms. So I go there and I, I look at what kinds of forms I can use for my pottery. Right. And then for something like this, I bought the big bowl there, but I want to modify it because it, its shape is not quite mm -hmm. what I want. So I'm adding some layers to it with some tape. Oh, so there you have filling tape. it out. And, a, and there's another plate underneath that right. so that it's, it's broad at the base. Flat? Yeah, flat. And you have some foam? Exactly. So I want... It's not just the form that I buy. It's then saying, does this form fit what I have in my brain? Um, and how can I have it look the way I want it to look? Okay. So I, I'm modifying it. Um, some forms, like I'll, I'll walk over to this piece. This one is done so, totally with a, a piece that I carved out of uh, like insulation material. Okay. So it's it's my own form. It's your own it's design. Like it's your own 
it does look like a boat, and you put it upside down. Because I'm going to roll my clay out. You like, roll your clay out like you would and kind put of it massive, over on top. massive cookie dough in a way. Right. And then drape it over, drape or it over. you can slump it. What we call a hump mold is draped over a form, or draped into a mold is called a slump. Sorry, okay. the hump is over the top. Okay. And, um, and when I do things like um, want lupins in it, um, right. or this woman wants poppies, well, poppies are just about to bloom, so I'll end up having mm -hmm. leaves that I mm -hmm. impress into the clay, uh, poppies that I impress into the clay, drape over my mold, let it dry, dry up, um, and then after the poppies have dried and I can pull them off, or the lupins have dried, then I put a ceramic paint over it okay. in the colors that I want okay. before it even goes to it's firing. So once it's over that mold, I can, I can shape it. Mm -hmm. I can fold the corners. I can mm -hmm. do whatever. I can add handles if I want. Right. Um, and and you're, you're, you're the person who requested the piece. Would they pick out the colors? With they give me um, kind of broad parameters right. and then say go for it. So they uh -huh. say, uh, this person said, I, I have red and black right. in my kitchen uh -huh. and uh, do your thing. <laughs> right, good. It's good so, to have that freedom of creativity. So I talked you. with her about mm -hmm. the kind of clay that she might like. Mm -hmm. um, and Jerry, there are different oh, yeah. types of clay. Oh my gosh. Okay. Endless, endless, endless options. And with temperatures, we're getting. You've talked. I wanted to talk a little bit about the 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 firing process. Is there? Um, what would the temperature be that you would fire this? So um, many people like their their experience of clay is often when they go traveling. You know, people bring back um, pieces from Mexico. Right. For instance, beautiful colors. And that's typically done on what we call earthenware. Okay. So the background clay is often kind of a reddy brown, mm -hmm. and it's what we would call a low fire. Okay. I fire higher in what's called a, a mid-range or stoneware porcelain range, and it's considerably higher than earthenware firing. Um, it tends to be a bit more durable. A lot mm -hmm. of people say earthenware tends to chip. Right. You know, you... You it's, knock it and it chips off. Earthenware and porcelain, uh, stoneware and porcelain is more resilient. Durable. Yeah. I'm thinking of terracotta. Is that Terracotta is different? earthenware. Yeah, earthenware, terracotta yeah. is that beautiful kind of um, brown, warm, ready. Yeah, it's light and it's right. cheap. Is that the, yeah. you know, well, inexpensive, often, I should say. Yeah, often, yeah. Um, but that's more related to, I think, how the artisans are paid than right. than the actual material. Yeah, they people unfortunately don't get paid what mm. what they put in to the work That's most of the time. Typical of an artist. It is. <laughs> um, so, what would be the temperature that you would fire something? So you plug in your kiln. Is yeah, electric? mine. Well, I have two kilns. Mm -hmm. One is electric, and the other one I use outside oh. for raku firing that I can talk about. But the electric one, um, every piece goes through two 
phases of firing. The first one drives out all the water. So you let your piece dry, 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 dry after you make it. It takes about a week probably to dry it completely. Then you put it in the kiln and any leftover water is totally driven out by firing it to about in the range of 1700 degrees. Yeah. So you imagine like if you bake a cake, mm -hmm. you're at 350. 50. Well, 1750 is a whole bunch right. hotter. Right. Then you take it out, you glaze it, you put an overall glaze onto your piece, put it back in the kiln, and for a glaze firing for my temperatures with stoneware porcelain, I go to about 2250 degrees. So even hotter. And the kiln gets so hot and it holds it for such a long period of time that like it takes a long time to get there. Otherwise your piece could crack. So it's a very slow process of firing. And it takes almost a day for it to cool enough for you to take it out of the kiln. Like if I if my piece was cooked and it said complete, firing done, and I opened it up. I'd shatter all my pieces. How long, Jerry, it. to get to the uh, the temperature of seventeen hundred? Um, you can have variations in mm -hmm. how you fire. You okay. can sl fire s slow or fast, but generally for a glaze firing, it would be about seven hours to take it to heat up. Yeah, and you have the product in the kiln. Oh yeah, of course you would have to. Yeah, and then once you get the ding, it's complete. Then you would you wait a it. day, of course. You gotta yeah. sit on your hands and yeah. as tempting as it is, because you want to see what it's looked like, you just have to wait. Yeah. So that's yeah. that's such a different process than raku. Yes, and the raku you would do outside. Outside, because you nice. create a lot of smoke and fire. Beautiful. Um, it's it takes um far shorter period of time. It takes about forty minutes to reach temperature. You don't go to as high a temperature, so I'm firing to about anywhere from 1400 to 1800 degrees. But when it's cooked, you open it and you take it out with metal tongs mm -hmm. when it's glowing red hot, mm -hmm. like it's just the piece is it's red literally hot. so hot. And you take it out with these special tongs mm -hmm. with you know. Um, insulated gloves and everything so that you're safe taking mm -hmm. it out and then you put that piece into a bin of stuff that's going to burn up either dried seaweed or wood shavings or newspaper the whole thing goes up in flames and smoke and it's dramatic wow. and then you let it burn just for a, a minute or so and then mm -hmm. you put a lid on it and mm -hmm. deprive it of oxygen Okay. And that process um, makes some amazing changes in the glaze that covers your pot. And anywhere the glaze intentionally cracks, there's little cracks in the glaze, carbon from the smoke and the fire gets deposited in there. So it creates these beautiful black lines like those guys on the table there. Those are all raku fired. And they're just kind of these beautiful cracks where the yeah. glaze has cracked through, allowed the carbon to deposit itself, and then um, uh -huh. and that's your piece. Right. And so it's it's relatively porous. If you put water in raku pieces, 
it'll seep through. So okay. we in Japan they will drink from tea bowls that are raku fired, but in North America we don't consider them food safe because okay. they're porous. So the functionality of them is they're more, more it's fun. more of an aesthetic. I right. mean you could put dried flowers in them. You can use them I call I call some of them wish vessels that uh -huh. you kind of um, <laughs> I gave them to someone who was graduating um, and she was leaving the, the city she grew up in and I called it a wish vessel where mm -hmm. she could write little notes yeah. and put it in the, in the vessel, lidded vessel. Yeah. So they can be that kind of thing um, when or they're just kind of more sculptural. Yeah, beautiful. When, when would you decide to do a raku piece? Uh, you gotta yeah. can't do it in the winter, okay? Because the temperature yes. change will you, okay. well. You can't you right. can't do it in the winter. Um, on a day when it's pouring with rain, not so good either. Because right. as you take your piece out, I, I guess you can't uh, get it in the. Yeah, I guess more spe <laughs> specifically, when when would you decide? Oh, I've made this piece. Oh, I see. I think I'm going to raku it. it. <laughs> I usually decide before I make the piece that it's going to be a raku piece. Okay. Because typically I'll use a certain type of clay for raku firing that okay. can withstand that kind of crazy temperature change. Yeah, I love the from, way the smoke and oh, the... I, that's it's my favorite thing. Very beautiful and, and natural process. Yeah, it's yeah. it's actually my favorite. I love functional wear. Like yes. I love to be able to use pots, but for these I'll make uh, candle holders that are raku-fired mm -hmm. or, mm -hmm. um, well, these kind of vessels mm. that are... Wishing vessels. Wish, wish, wish vessels. Wish yeah. vessels. <laughs> so, um, I, I, I want to, uh, do you provide, I just have one final question pertaining to your, uh, your, your pottery world. Um, do you, you provide instruction in your studio here, mm -hmm. Jerry? And any medical people keeping with your, your past profession? Mm. Or is it mostly people like myself who perhaps would like to come in and... and There's, and, um... It's interesting because in in my work life, I used to offer um, some workshops around self-care that would use uh, art as part of exploring um, challenges in work situations for health professionals. So uh -huh. things that they found difficult and kind of, uh, you know, talk people talk about burnout and so forth. Mm -hmm. So how do you retain the 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 love of your work or how do you get past things that you found difficult at work so I would use some of these workshops incorporating art and I just recently applied to teach a course using clay uh, as a way of um, self-reflection mm -hmm. and ultimately self-care mm -hmm. and I'm waiting to hear if I if I get that. I, the workshops that I, I teach them in the studio around hand, hand building and they've also been asking me in Sheet Harbor at the rec center so I'm doing them there as well. I saw a huge list of, of pottery oh, yeah. and I, that, it, that's you is it? It's the on one the in little Sheet summer Harbor. schedule yeah. Sheet yeah. Harbor rec. Yeah and we're doing yeah. 
these ones are all ages, which Perfect. I think is marvelous because if you're eight years of age and older, yeah. you can take the workshop. And we, the last workshop I did, we, some of them we had three generations. So mm -hmm. we had grandchildren, mm -hmm. parents, and grandparents. And I mean, the kids just put clay in their hands and they run with it. You yeah. Know? Not, not literally They're run with no it. No inhibitions. But they run with their creativity. Yeah. It's just, oh my gosh. Um, so wouldn't, cool. wouldn't that make a great exhibit? Yeah. After, yeah. after the Three summer? Generations. Or even yeah. your, yeah, and even your, uh, your medical uh, people um, mm -hmm. and, or those are who are involved in self care to uh, take their creations. Mm -hmm. What what determines when to do an exhibit? When when would you say it's time? Yeah. You just did one in April past, correct? That was the um, showing. The, the we had one at the well. Our, I'm a member of our Nova Scotia Potters Guild, right. so sometimes they'll put out what we call a call to the members for an exhibit. So okay. it's a it's a group okay. exhibition. So we had one recently. Well, last uh, September October at Government House in Halifax. And so that that has a theme. Okay. And they put the call out around that theme. So that theme was uh, called Quaff, which is to drink deeply. Mm -hmm. And you could interpret that any way you wanted. Mm -hmm. um, I happen to do it as, uh, I'll show you in the house, because I <laughs> have it in our bedroom now, but it was a, a big tree um, with, tons of birds on it all kinds of birds that I had sculpted and glazed mm -hmm. so they're all ceramic with a bird bath and oh. it's quaffed to drink deeply beautiful so and the next one is called uh, the birds and the bees and it's going to be at um, the Craig Gallery at Alderley Landing mm -hmm. and that's also the Potter's Guild and I'm I don't know if you... I ended up having a book published of my yes. poems and pottery. Yes. And the Craig is having all the works that are in that book, all the pieces of pottery, accompanied by each of my poems, are is going to be at the gallery at the Craig uh, next, like, 2020 in the spring. So that one is kind of already, in a way, it's already done in my brain because mm -hmm. the poems have been written and the pottery is done. Right. And um, who's your book published by? It's Pottersfield Press, okay. which is um, Leslie Choice of Lawrencetown Beach. So it's available at bookstores and... He yeah. takes care of the distribution for you and... Yeah, and... Um, it's been pretty neat because one of the, one of the uh, I don't know, I guess, things I'm grateful for in life is that I'm not reliant on having to earn money as an artist because of having worked as I did. So any proceeds from the book sales, like online or through chapters or whatever, um, go to two places. So they're, they go to the Refugee uh, Association, ISANS, the Immigrant Services Association of Nova Scotia, to the Refugee Emergency Fund. And the other um, spot is Potters for Peace, which is um, 
a, a wonderful international organization that uses ceramic filters, teaches people how to build ceramic filters to filter water so they have access to clean water. Right, so important. Yeah, And then we have other places that have bought the books, like our Arts Association, Mm-hmm. And they're using it as a fundraiser, which I can say a bit more about. Nice. And the Humanities Program has bought books that they sell for mm-hmm. benefiting the Humanities Program. So it's it's been pretty neat to be able to direct any of the proceeds to... Those two causes. Yeah. yeah. That's very nice. Tell me about the um, artisans of the Eastern Shore. Are you taking uh you're very much involved in that yeah so i i've become the president right. of artisans of <laughs> eastern shore i was going to say president yeah. but i really wasn't yeah. sure okay yeah. which used to be called the seacoast trail arts yes. association so that's what it was known by and we just went through a well it's interesting process because we had to redo the signs that you may have noticed in sheet harbor um, they were at the entry into and the exit of Sheet Harbor. Yes. And they had to come down because uh, they were deteriorating. So it gave us an opportunity to say, okay, do we want that logo? Do we want to change our name? Do we do we want to stick with what we've had or do we want something different? And some people had said to us that we're members. We're about 40 members now. They said, you know, it feels a little bit um, exclusive in a way when when it's the Arts Association and they were wanting us to broaden it a bit so that it included people who would be considered crafters or craft makers. So artisans is thought to be a more inclusive term um, mm-hmm. and so that it embraces both the arts and fine crafts, which is representative of the members who span from Lawrencetown Beach and Pepeswick all the way. We even have <laughs> members who joined this year from Guysboro because okay. there isn't an art association in Guysboro. Um, most, many folks are from kind of this neck of the woods and further east, Sheet Harbor, Spry Bay, Port Dufferin, that kind mm-hmm. of area. So where do you see um, your main focus as incoming chair of, of the association? Is it an association? Or? Yeah, we're an association. Yeah. Um, so part of it is, um, with our members, is giving people a venue to mm-hmm. show their work, to exhibit their work, and to sell it. And that happens um, two main events every year. August 11th is our show and sale at the Lions Center, and the other is the studio tour, where members can open up their studios or congregate at something like the Balcom Center or Henley House and have group studio um, to exhibit and sell their work. And that happens, that's going to be this Sunday, um, September 29th. Jerry, is that where there's a map of the province printed? Is that Studio Rally? There is another studio. There are studio rallies kind of all over the place. Okay. Um, This one day they have an open... Yeah. Is that the same thing you're talking about? um, This one will be for folks that are members of our association or if people want to be part of the studio tour and aren't a member, 
they can pay $10. It's free to members. Right. They can pay $10 and have their studio mm-hmm. open to the public. Mm-hmm. And people will do kind of a road tour and go from studio to studio. Mm-hmm. But geographically, we stretch so far that, you know, most people will kind of carve off a portion and say, well, I'm yeah. going to do Muscadabit Harbor to, you know, we go as far as Sherbrooke. Um, so they may pick off an area and say, I'm, I'll do those studios. Or I'm particularly interested in quilts. So I'll go to all the places that mm-hmm. where there's quilts mm-hmm. or woodworking and I'll go there. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's, it's great to be able to go where there is a cluster it of, is. of artisans and they can people can get in the car and kind of drive yeah. and they know and on that day they're our shore everyone's... is incredibly mm-hmm. rich with people involved in the arts mm-hmm. incredible mm-hmm. wow wow yeah like it is you, it's just yeah it is a fantastic. wow factor for sure um pertaining to your your uh, your pottery is there anything that i've missed that you wanted to share with our listeners <sighs> in your book uh, as well um, I'm just having a think. So, well, the the show and sale and mm-hmm. the studio are both from ten to four. Couple of neat things this year at the show and sale is we're going to have art demos. So a number of our artisans are going to be doing demos. People can come and mm-hmm. they can see painting happening. They can see pottery nice. being made. Live. They can see uh, woodworking. Um, Barry Colpitz, who you know is a folk artist, is going to be carving and doing some demo. So it's that's mm. going to be really nice. And what is the date for that again, Jerry? August Sunday, August eleventh, from ten to four. Okay. Lions Center. We're going to have a barbecue, and we're going to have Sober Island Brewing Company to accompany your burger. Very good. <laughs> and um, sounds like a lovely day. Yeah, we're going to have uh, youth. Uh, performing music and dance. Oh, wonderful. And what other... Oh, yeah, the other thing is the food that's going to be catered. Any of the proceeds from our sales this year are going to the Eastern Shore Lifestyle Center. Very nice. So yeah. it's... Yeah, I think it should be a great day. We hope a lot of people come out for it. Communities building and helping build communities. Yeah, and that's actually when you said, what's your focus as president? Mm-hmm. Um, it's really taking cue from our membership. And, and the biggest thing, we did a survey last year and asked people, you know, in what direction would you like to see our association move? Are there things that you think are going great that you want sustained? What would you like done differently? And the biggest thing that came out from the members was more involvement and more community engagement. So to actually have community be part of art exploration mm. and enjoyment of art. Not just, you know, coming out and buying stuff, mm-hmm. but actually creating art. Mm-hmm. So we've we've been doing some community workshops. Um, I th- Mark Krauss bought some land on Bahie Road, which is uh, going to be a community... Well, it already is functioning as a community garden. Mm-hmm. And our arts association, the Artisans of the Eastern Shore, is now working on creating art with the community in that public area. So there will be bird houses and mm-hmm. bee houses and bat houses that people nice. do and contribute. Good. And we're going to build a structure that will be 
inviting and welcoming so people could have lunch there and make art there and get out of the rain or the sun nice. while they're working. So that I think that's going to be really mm. fun. Very, very nice. Thanks for taking time out yeah, today to chat. It's been, it's fun. been grand. Yeah. Um, I have one final question. Do you have any favorite song or music ah. piece that, uh, <laughs> that you wanted to share with us? And maybe we could uh, play it on Sheet Harbor Radio. Who Absolutely. Um, so my, my favorite, I, right now, I go through, I go to the Lunenburg Folk Harbor Festival every year, so I usually end up dragging back some CDs from that <laughs> yeah. as a new favorite, but my current favorite um, is probably familiar to a lot of folks because this fellow won the Polaris Prize, which is like the top musical prize in Canada, and he won a Juno for the Best Indigenous Album, and it, his name is Jeremy Ducher, D-U-T-C-H-E-R, and he's from what used to be called the Maliseet First Nation in New Brunswick and is now called the Wolostak First Nation. And he's, I, to me, it's mind-boggling. He's trained um, as a classical opera singer. He's a tenor. And he ended up taking music from his, uh, well, more than great-grandparents, probably older than that, that had been preserved on vinyl, on, um, not vinyl, on wax cylinders. So like an ancient method mm -hmm. of recording music. And he took that and was able to modify it with his own interpretation, really, into songs that I understand not a word of, but I'm 100% moved by. Mm -hmm. And they're mm -hmm. gorgeous. They're absolutely beautiful. So um, it's Jeremy Ducher. Ducher. And I'm sure um, we can find someone at Sheet Harbor Radio, I am hope, uh, hopefully, to uh, find that in the archive somewhere and we can uh, yeah, play it. Yeah, it's his only CD out. There's, um, well, I think all the songs are wonderful, but the seventh track on this is, I'm probably going to mispronounce this, but I think it's Oguitan, and it translates as Canoe Song. And... It's crazy, but it feels like you're on the water when you listen to that song. It's just absolutely wonderful. So um, very nice. It's called, I guess it, his album, the CD, translates as "Our Maliseet Songs" is the English translation. Um, and I won't bother trying to pronounce it in Wallace <laughs> Wallaceet because yeah. I'm sure I'll do a or Wallastuck. Uh, yeah. I'll do a horrible. Uh, Good job. But yeah, well, thank you very much, and uh, um, that that's that's it. Thank Good. you very much. No, thank you. Great.